Welcome to episode 250 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. If you like what you hear, whether you are a first-time listener or a long-time listener, and you listen on Apple Podcasts, I hope that you will leave a five-star rating or a comment. Did you know that your ratings and comments do help new people find the show? There's something in the iTunes algorithm that takes those comments and ratings and bumps the podcast up in, in findability. And so if you haven't and you would like the show, just go and leave a rating. And if you feel like it, leave a comment. I would love that and I would be very thankful if you did. Or even better than that, if you know someone that you think will like Stageworthy, tell them about it. Some of my favorite podcasts became my favorites because someone I know told me about them. And remember, you can find and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify just by searching Stageworthy and clicking the handy subscribe button. If you want to support Stageworthy, consider dropping some change in the virtual tip jar. You can find a link to that in the show notes. Your support helps me continue to bring you great conversations in Canadian theatre. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the archive of all 250 episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PhilRickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guest this week is Toronto-based musical theatre artist Natasha Strelchuk. You list yourself on your Twitter profile as a dancer, actor, singer. Mm -hmm. um, doing a little bit of reading about you, uh, it seems to me that dance was your first love. Is that is that right? Yes, very much so. I, my mom always saw me dancing around the house when I was a little kid, like before I could even walk, really. Uh, so she was like, oh, this is a thing that's going to keep Natasha out of my hair. So, yeah, I, I started dancing at two and a half and I never stopped. It was always the thing I loved to do. And I had, you know, some injuries and things that took me out of that, uh, as we do when we throw ourselves heavily into something super physical. But mm -hmm. yeah, it, but yeah, it's always been there. It's always something that I will continue to do even if it's not my main it's not as much my main focus now but yeah it's definitely my first love and it got me where I where I am now and I'm always thankful for that so you mentioned you know your your mom thinking that dance would keep you out of her hair were you particularly <laughs> a child that needed to be kept out of her hair no I I was I think actually because I was pretty reserved around other people but at home I was very outgoing and so my mom was like maybe if there's something that she loves to do she'll open up a bit more around others which mm. definitely helped me mm. um because yeah I always kind of felt a little bit of a misfit in terms of other relating to other people mm. um 
me and my brother are adopted. So our family dynamic is really kind of, we're all very close and it's not everyone knows what that's like. And Mm. so it definitely felt like they were the only people I could relate to for a long time. And so dance really helped me open. Sure. I get, I get, I definitely get that. My, my brother and my sister uh, were both adopted um, and both, you know, uh, uh, children blessed with melanin, um, (laughs) being raised in a, in a, in a white family. And so that I, you know, definitely there's, I, I I get what you're saying there. Yeah. I, that was definitely the case for us being both me and my brother were adopted from Malaysia and Mm -hmm. in the same town. And so, but with my parents being white Canadians, it was a different thing we had to deal with. And, then I grew up most of my life in Regina, Saskatchewan. So a lot of white people, you know, not mm-hmm. a lot of brown people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was definitely something that helped me become friends with people I maybe normally wouldn't have gone out of my way to. And and we had something in common. So that's always mm-hmm. a good starting point to for kids. Yeah. And you were, I mean, when your your parents adopted you, but you did not spend the first few years of your life in Regina. I think you were, No, your your, your parents took you to to England? Yeah. So my parents lived in Malaysia for four years, which is why they adopted there. Usually you can't adopt um, from Malaysia. They they like their, their kids to be adopted from people who are permanently in Malaysia. But because they were permanent residents at the time, they were able to kind of go around that. Hmm. And then, yeah, so I was only there for a year, but my brother was there for two because he's a year older than me. And then we moved to England and we lived there for six years. Um, And then we moved back to Canada because my parents wanted to be closer to their family because all of Mm -hmm. our family is in Saskatchewan or Alberta, mostly, and a few in Ontario now. But yeah, so it was a long time away from home. My dad worked in agriculture so that took us Mm. away and yeah so it was also hard coming into a totally new culture um at I was seven Mm. at the time so it was a big move in the middle of elementary school yeah yeah Uh, where where in England were you King's Lynn it's about an hour and a half away uh from London okay Mm-hmm. So you weren't, you didn't go from like a big city to Regina. You were sort of like, no. yeah, <laughs> super in the country. Yeah. In a very, very small town. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we had to drive to do anything, um, which was beautiful. You know, it was really nice. And so it was a very different feeling to move into a city where, and even though like we've been in London, we've visited and stuff, it's not the same. Um mm. So, yeah, it was very strange. And my grandparents are um, on my mom's side were farmers. So but we were able to go out and and visit the countryside of Saskatchewan, which kind of helped that transition mm-hmm. a bit more. But even though Regina feels so small now, it felt very <laughs> big then. I'm sure it did. Coming yeah. from like the countryside in England to Regina, it must have felt like going to the big city. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So at what point did, what was your gateway to musical theater? Well, I, 
my dance studio in Regina had a musical theater program. But growing up, honestly, I didn't like musicals. Not that I really knew really what a musical was. I think I had this idea in my head of what it was. Of like uh-huh. this campy, cheesy kind of, you know, thing that I didn't really get. And singing and dancing. And, and I was like, it's not the same as like classical ballet. Right. Like I had this like snobby mentality for some reason, maybe maybe from being brought up in England where, you know, uh, classical ballet was the thing in my studio there. But yeah, I was really in my head about it. I don't know why I thought that. And and my parents went to shows in the West End all the time, but they didn't bring us because we were too young. Mm hmm. And so I really didn't know anything about it other than I watched the concert version of Les Mis all the time. And I had that soundtrack (laughs) and I loved that. Um, But again, I didn't consider that a musical. Like I I just kind of, because I didn't see it on stage exactly in the way they film it. Like it's, it's Mm. sort of stage, but it's not really. And they're singing Mm -hmm. into mics and, you know, so to me, I was like, and then again, that didn't really encompass dance. Like, so I was like, okay, well, that's like beautiful singing and, and like more like choral music to me. And so, yeah, I guess I kind of thought everything was like the sound of music or something or but like, like the, a bad sound of music because I don't know. I think, yeah, I, I guess you're not, the, you're not the only one who's ever been like, I don't like musicals. And you're like, so what musicals <laughs> have you seen? And they're like, I don't none, know, none. maybe. <laughs> but there's like this idea in that yeah. people have in their head where there's like a couple on a hill and he looks at her and goes, <laughs> Yeah. Susan, I have to tell you. <laughs> and then breaks into song and people are like, totally. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think I don't know, I was kind of against the damsel in distress type thing mm-hmm. that I thought musicals were about, although it's not as if other things don't have that especially Mm -hmm. at that time. Um, But yeah, so I really had no idea about musicals. And then, so when I moved to Regina and my studio had more theater and they also, there was a, there was a film scene in Saskatchewan at that time where there's not anymore, which is unfortunate. But so I did some stuff like background on film sets and I did through my studio and I did, and eventually I saw one of the musicals that they were doing. Like I kind of resisted it. And then I think <laughs> I made friends with somebody who was involved. And then, so I was like, okay, well, I'll go see it. And then you and have it, to go. Yeah. Right. Like I was like, I can't be <laughs> rude. I think I was 12 and I saw they were doing a junior production of hair. Well, no, it wasn't a junior production, but they were t- all teenagers, but like they cut there were deep cuts. Not that I knew it. At there, the would time. Ha- there, there would 100% have to be deep <laughs> yeah, cuts. Yeah. So, but it really was something that I wasn't expecting in terms of the style of music that it was. I didn't realize that could be in musicals. And there also happened to be just more people of color in the company at that time. So, seeing a bunch of people who you know, had different ranges of skin tone and like the, the themes of that show also, like I didn't know about the hippie revolution and I didn't know Mm -hmm. about the Vietnam war being so young. 
And I was like, oh, I didn't know musicals talked about things like war or, mm. you know, like protesting peacefully, you know, and, and things like that. Like I had no idea. And so I loved it. And I thought it just filled me with joy. And, and also a friend of mine, um, Tahare, uh, who is in the industry now, she was there and she's um, an Indian woman. And she was a featured person in that show. Hmm. And I was like, this is the first time I've ever seen anybody who looks like me doing anything like this, which is a huge eye opener. But I was like, oh, wow, like maybe I could do something like that. And, Mm. you know, so it was really amazing. And then later that year, the the national tour of Mamma Mia was coming through Regina, um, which I think was like the biggest musical that had come through in a long time. Mm-hmm. And I saw that and I saw Louise Petra playing Donna mm-hmm. and I, she blew my mind. Like, I think she was probably the only thing I remembered about that production other than it being <laughs> ABBA and super fun and, and lots of dancing. Um, but I was like, I'd never seen a character quite like Donna. And I was like, I want to be like that when I grow up, like <laughs> super, just like kind of kick-ass woman who is still able to like being vulnerable and, but lives her own life. I think that was mm. the main takeaway that I was like, she's just really doing what she had to do. And there was something about that that I had never really seen. Right. And so I was like, wow, musicals can tell this type of story. And I had no idea. And so, and even in something like Mamma Mia, where it is, it's like very, it can be very cheesy. And the music of ABBA is just so like joyful and you want to dance in your seat. So sometimes you may not take away those storylines, but that's what, resonated with me was Mm. the kind of emotional female empowerment part of it and even though I didn't know what that was at the time it really has affected me up until now it's so interesting to me to hear you talk about Mamma Mia because there's like this generational thing where for probably people like your parents Mm -hmm. they were like when they see that musical they know the songs enough to sing along with them because they may have been on the radio and things like that. And you were seeing it for the show and the songs within the show, two separate experiences, but happening at the same time. Totally. Yeah. And I, I had, yeah, maybe heard dancing queen and (laughs) you know, like the, the really famous ones Mm -hmm. I'd maybe heard on the radio, but yeah, it was definitely that. And I think we all loved it. And, I so then I I auditioned for my musical theater company after that for the next year and I got in and then I kind of never looked back it was definitely I got the bug and it never quit and 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 how old were you at that point when you first started being introduced to musical theater uh around 12 okay yeah and then and then after seeing after having this sort of formative experience seeing Mamma Mia, you've you've done it twice. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So what was, was that like? Um, it was really great. I and I did two productions in a year, so it ended up being six months of Mamma Mia, which was a lot. And I know that's a lot people, of Mamma yeah, Mia. And I know many people 
and some of those who I worked with in those productions who were on that original national tour or were, you know, did it in Vegas or did it somewhere for like years. So they have a very different experience. But for me, mm. it was really great. And I, it was nice to kind of feel like as like the show is set in the 90s, like the present day of the show or like mm. early 2000s. And I grew up in that time. So it was nice to kind of understand that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it really was a thing that I was like, wow, it's so nice that I get to do the show after having that experience of seeing it and then working. I feel like both the shows that I did, uh, the direction style was very different and still was able to get to the heart of that message really clearly and so when I did it at Neptune I feel like it was very much more a kind of showstopper like more like a Broadway production in the way of like we had full like glitter cannons at the end Mm. and (laughs) the disco ball coming down and you know um huge dance numbers and just it was so fun and and like it really was like a rock concert every time we did it which is so fun like I don't you don't get that experience very often if you don't aren't a musician like that yeah um so that was really exciting but we and it was very still the the actors that we had were able to really tap into those emotions like they weren't just you know playing the joke and then that was it which I feel like sometimes the show can be is like you you just leave the story a bit and Mm -hmm. it's mainly focused on the numbers it depends on who's doing it but Yeah. yeah I felt like those actors and like the creative team that we had we were able to really encompass all of those things which was really nice and then I had a totally different experience but equally as positive working at the globe with um stephanie graham and so we in regina and so one it was so nice to be able to do that show in my hometown and doing it in the round just created a very very different experience so we were able to have kind of pull the scenes into a more intimate version of that show Mm. and like you don't have the space to do as like huge production dance numbers as much in those big numbers um even though we had great dancers and we the choreography was awesome but you have to think about the space in a different way and how are you going to utilize it and so that everyone in 360 can see and get this kind of similar experience Mm -hmm. you know so that was really cool and different in that way and so also the casting was different in that way. Like I feel like we had a lot of, you know, a little bit more of a, I don't know what's the word. The vocal stylings were a little less like Broadway belter and Mm -hmm. a bit more like folky poppy kind of voices, Mm. you know, which, which lent itself to that space really well. And, and to the music as well. And in both productions, a lot of people had done the show before, as many people will continue to do the show, as it is so popular. But 
I needed a break from it, but now having time away and especially in the pandemic, I'm like, I would do Mamma Mia anytime <laughs> if I could work again, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is a show that I love and I would do anytime. I think that it's just so special and it gives a lot of joy to people and that's worth a lot, especially yeah. right now. There's something that you you said about about the way that you could look at uh, Mamma Mia and and concentrate more on the songs and the numbers rather than what's underneath them. Do you think that is that would be the difference? But that could be the difference between a really good production of Mamma Mia and a not so good production of Mamma Mia, which might lead into the whole like idea of what a bad musical might be that you initially thought. Yeah, I do think that I, I definitely do. And I think I, as a performer and as a choreographer and hopefully a, a, a director one day, um, that's kind of where I see musical theater going and especially Canadian music theater that we're such good storytellers. And I think that we have incredible dancers, incredible singers, incredible actors. And, and, but the way that we can facilitate really amazing stories, which I think come from away does so well, um, is that we're telling a story from the heart of it. And that's, what's going to kind of, uplift the stories that we have I feel like Anne of Green Gables does that so well and yeah so I definitely think that was kind of my feeling that that musicals were were just this kind of robotic thing which I now know is not true but Hmm. yeah maybe a uh, if I see a show that's not that great part of it for me is that I don't feel it it seems genuine like I feel like it's being phoned in. You know, whenever I'm sitting in a theater and something isn't working for me, I have recently and only within the last couple of years gone from, Oh, I hate this so much to (laughs) why, why is this not working for me? What is missing? And trying to look at it in a more clinical way rather than just feeling frustrated and angry. Mm -hmm. Me too. I definitely have felt that more in the last few years. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, I mean, you, that is the useful way to look at a show that might not be, that might not be good is mm-hmm. being able to say, to, to use that and examine it and say, why is that not working? Now I know this, I file this away. Let's not do that in the future. Exactly. And it really informs also the way that I want to perform and, and mm-hmm. how I can go about that moving forward. So yeah, it's been it's been a very helpful tool when I'm seeing musicals now. Yeah, awesome. Now, just to to move on to the 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 present day, um, mm-hmm. how are you doing in <laughs> all of this? I'm okay. I feel like any everybody is very up and down, and myself included. Mm-hmm. It's been, you know, some days are just so hard when I I think about that I have no idea when we're going to be back and especially for for theater where it's just going to be so much harder and everybody who can kind of make us come back like the government um we're just at the bottom of 
the list, which I yeah. I get, you know, um, but it's hard and it it's disheartening, especially yeah. when, you know, you think about what is getting me through this pandemic? Oh, reading books and, and yes. like seeing new shows on Netflix or watching Hamilton, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and things like that, that it's art. And I think yeah. that even though I'm in that world and that's my business, that regular old whoever who has a nine to five and, you know, doesn't do something like I do on their day to day is still doing those things, you know, and that's what's yeah. getting them through when, you know, you're, you have to take care of your kids who are not at school and you have to work from home on your laptop all day or mm -hmm. whatever it is. Art is what's getting us through. So I'm also just working at this time to kind of better myself and, and know kind of know where I want to go in the future and and yeah. i think that storytelling is just so important and mm -hmm. so i just want to know where i can fit into that and that i can talk to other people who are seeing things the way that i do and the people who are seeing things the way that i don't know anything about <laughs> um you know so and getting to know people that maybe i wouldn't have because they were too busy before yeah that that's I actually always wanted to talk to. Yeah, that's a, a, actually a super like interesting product of this. There are conversations happening now that would never be happening if the theaters were open. Mm -hmm. The conversations that were happening uh, this year at the Stratford Festival, conversations um, with 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 various theater institutions having to to confront their institutional racism and their 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 bias uh for towards a, a mostly white performers uh mm -hmm. directors playwrights all of that stuff these are conversations that we can have now because nobody's stuck in the cycle of production exactly so if nothing else if nothing else good comes out of this there is that Yes. That yeah. the, these cover these things are being addressed. Yeah, it's it's been so nice, especially seeing how Stratford has taken it upon themselves during this time. Um, especially for me, there's a personal connection there as I did my debut there in 2017, mm -hmm. and so to see all of the work that they're doing, and especially the artists that. Mm -hmm. some of whom I, I worked with during my time there or got to know. And there's just so many incredible, pe incredible people working and or not working in, in the industry in Canada right now that mm -hmm. haven't had the opportunity to have their voices heard. And they yeah. deserve it, you know, and they work really hard. And it's just so nice to, to see on a major platform that happening. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know all of these voices that that are, that are being heard, you know from from you know the theaters actually having to listen and they're having to listen because yeah. they're they're being made to. Um, yeah. I do think that that when Stratford basically turned over the keys of their official Twitter account to the to the to the to the in the dressing room hashtag, um, mm -hmm. and let the artists of color tell their stories of. Uh, the racism that they experienced at the festival 
and and in the town and in other places in the theater was like that's very brave of them to do and to to not censor those conversations i think that was an incredible step for them yeah i agree it's just so necessary and yeah. and for the people to feel like they can come forward the artists and not have fear that their job is going to be taken away or their future jobs because yeah. i think so much in our industry is that we just fear that that we won't have a job and so we give up pieces of ourselves because because of that yeah i i mean the theater schools have to address their part in that too though mm-hmm. um i remember when i was in theater many many years ago and i know it hasn't changed the prevailing idea was not to rock the boat yes yeah like underlying everything yeah was you know we were in fear of of doing the wrong things we would be kicked out and that sets a tone for when you get totally. out in the in the industry absolutely i have actually been in conversations with randolph where i went to school with mm. their new artistic director mike reinhardt and he's been so great and he's doing amazing things there any randolph alum that feels like they want to who listens to this is may listen to this i hope that they will put forward their voices now if they feel like they have something in that institution that they want to change because now is the time and I don't want anybody going through Randolph or any other theater school and and feeling like they're just gonna get mistreated or that people won't understand how to teach them because Mm -hmm. they're different and because they don't see anybody who maybe understands what they have gone through and therefore it's difficult when we are so vulnerable in theater school and we're we're breaking down so much of ourselves to to feel like we're being a good performer and there isn't a lot of safety nets there to bring you back up no i mean it's it's like it's that way for everybody but but artists of color um, they have the issue of many theater schools. I know when I was in theater school, I'm look thinking back now, I didn't have any teachers of color in yeah. all three years of my time at George Brown college. There were, everybody was white. Yeah. I maybe had two and they were dance instructors and, mm. and one was George Randolph, who's the head of the school. So, yeah. you know, I definitely feel that I had, it was difficult for me, especially being a brown person like South Asian in musical theater where there's really hardly any musicals for us. And so a lot of the time I really felt like, and people, teachers also kind of said it, that they were like, we don't know what to do with you. And I can only speak to my personal experience in that, but I'm like, I'm paying money the same as anybody else. Like, if you don't know the answer, then I feel like you should find somebody who knows the answer because, Uh and you may, may not get a solid answer, but the thing is you need to then be like, okay, Natasha, I don't know exactly what roles you may fit in. So what do you feel like you're suited to and what can we do to facilitate and make you feel confident that moving forward like 
this works with your voice type and this works with your look. And, you know, like I was like, just treat me then like I don't have brown skin (laughs) and just look at what's in front of you because, yeah, maybe absolutely I need to know that going into the industry, there are going to be people who have a bias about what I look like and maybe don't think to cast me. But I need to have the confidence to go in there and be like, no, you do want to hire me because I can do everything the same as everybody else, if not better than some people. So please just look at me based on what I'm bringing to you in the room. And I didn't feel like I got that there Mm. at the time. And, And certain things I did get. And I'm grateful for so many of the things that I learned. Um, and the teachers who were straight with me in terms of it's going to be hard, you know, it's going to be hard for you. And you already know that you have to work harder than some people because you may not get looked at, or even if you get brought into the audition room, because you're checking off a box, it doesn't mean that they're going to hire you, you know? So, Mm. you know, the mentality you have to prove yourself over and over yes. harder than yes. anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. The idea of the, the whole, like, we don't know what to do with you to me is such a goddamn cop out because oh, yeah. as an audience member, I'm already suspending my disbelief. Right. I'm invested in believing what is on the stage when I walk into a theater. So I don't care if, brother and sister are if if one is chinese and one is black and mom is and mom is indian and 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 dad is and dad is 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 malaysian like i don't care as an audience member i'll buy it you know and i think that that the idea of of oh if somebody has if somebody is brown or they're black i don't just don't know how to deal with that and it's just like the audience will deal and they will they'll believe it they'll buy into it because it's there i wanted to to we sort of started we sort of got off on a tangent when i started asking about how you're doing in the pandemic and (laughs) and that's all super important stuff because the pandemic has led to everything we're talking about there um but i kind of also want you were were you in toronto when quote unquote lockdown happened or were you in Regina? Yeah, no, I was in Toronto. I actually had just come back from assistant directing at Neptune for Mm -hmm. Calendar Girls. And I came back and they were kind of talking about coronavirus and it, they weren't sure what we were going to do yet. And, but I, because I was traveling through the airports and stuff, I, I was a little bit worried and then yeah. everything seemed fine. And then I went to go film something. And during when I was on set in Paris, Ontario, um, they were like, okay, so lockdown's happening on Monday. And I it was like Friday. So and I was getting back on Monday. So mm. I just made it back to Toronto as lockdown was happening. So I wasn't stuck in Paris, Ontario, which was nice. Um, and then I just recently flew home, uh, last week to Regina to visit my parents because it's been very difficult not to see them. So I'm, I'm still in my kind of two week isolating 
yeah thing here uh but so far so good and and the trip on the plane was fine like not a lot of people are going to Regina so I didn't have anyone near me (laughs) um which was nice but yeah I'd been in Toronto with my partner and our dog which is great to spend time with them so yeah just trying to find the good things yeah um were you so did you did, was it is it just was it just you and your partner and your dog in in your apartment uh we have roommates as well yeah so that they, makes it a little bit easier to spend a yes. hundred days you know yes, in, in one exactly spot. yeah it was yeah. helpful to be able to have other people around um and they went back to they're from nova scotia so they flew mm. back uh i guess a month ago or so and yeah, so we ha- hadn't been there very long by ourselves. Mm. And then I kind of was like, sorry, babe, I'm going to go <laughs> here with the dog. Um, yeah, because he had full-time work right yeah. now and, and throughout the pandemic has, and I have not. And so, yeah. you know, it's difficult to see. And my roommates also were working from home because they're music teachers, so they're able to see mm. that over Zoom. So it was difficult for me to feel like I wasn't doing anything productive. Um, yeah. You know, so it was hard to see them all working. Uh, so it's nice kind of to come back home. And although I, I am doing things here um, for work uh, or that have to do with the industry. Um, but it, it takes the pressure off a bit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um. It must be nice to, to see your folks. I mean, Oh yeah. You know, I mean, I, I haven't seen members of my family. Well, since, since like March. Yeah. Essentially I saw them. Um, I think maybe around March 15th ish Mm -hmm. just before everything started. And I haven't, I haven't seen them since we've talked, but it's, it's not the same, you know? Yeah, totally. I my dad had just come to Halifax and we flew flew to Toronto on the same flight um before he flew to Regina. So I'd saw, seen him, but then I didn't see my mom or my brother. Um I saw them before Christmas. Mm. I think. And so yeah, it was just a really long time and I but I was also worried because my mom is a uh, high risk. So I also didn't want to put her in a position where she could get sick. Yeah. So I wanted to wait also until cases in Ontario were going down and that, yeah, we felt like I could be distant enough. And, and luckily it's pretty easy in the house to just, I'll, I wear a mask in the house um, mm. if I'm around where my mom would be and I sanitizing everything and mm-hmm. washing my hands every second but but it's worth it to see them and and you know there are other outside factors besides me that could even though Saskatchewan's very low with cases mm-hmm. um you know there's always a risk and yes that's never fun to think about no um as as you know this goes on and we're looking at, you know, at this point, you know, although I think initially Mervis Productions in Toronto said that they would restart shows in January, and now mm-hmm. is pretty much looking like that 
that's not going to be possible. And yeah. even if they did, and and it was allowed by the government, do like I don't think audiences would go. I don't think so either, especially there's gonna, when there's a lot of older folks who yeah see musicals. So yeah, yeah. I think you know. I think that it's 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 going to be a while before people feel comfortable being in theaters. Yeah, and. So the question, the question is, and I think that we're, I think initially when this happened, I think the idea of, of, oh, January, that's so far away. It's good. It will be fine by then. And now I think it's starting to, to land that, that that's probably not going to happen too. And that it's going to be longer before we can get back into the theaters and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and what we do with that. And I think, you know, people are starting to now look at how can I make a video presentation work? Yes. How can I live stream right. things? Is that something that you've at all thought about or, or not? Um, I have been mostly doing things like having to film myself dancing for a choreographer's project or, or something like that, you know, and then people have edited them and there's a, a couple projects that I'm in that, are going to come out soon Mm. but other than that i i have been thinking about that just in the way of like well that would be great i guess but how are we going to get around you know like copyright and you know like it's it's hard to say for commercial music theater how that's gonna happen yeah i mean you know especially when theaters here just don't have the money to do all the Mm. things they have to do to kind of maybe film things. Um, Yeah. yeah, It's going to be really interesting. And I think we're all going to have to create our own stuff for a long time. And to, if you do film and TV, like that's happening more. So that might be your focus. Like I'm, I'm a little bit trying to, to, focus on that a bit um and see where that goes and but yeah it's really hard like it's just it's there's so many question marks and yeah it can be very depressing to think about um Mm -hmm. you know and like I teach dance when I can and and to not be able to do that in person is difficult and i know the studios are kind of starting to get it so they're able to to have kind of distant squares for the dancers and like sanitizer and masks and things like that but as like i generally just substitute dance teach so i'm not the first person that's gonna be given a job yeah so yeah it's just kind of like okay, well, I'll be doing other stuff that that doesn't have to do with theater probably. And, Mm. you know, I am excited, like, because I've been talking with Randolph to hopefully TA for them and assistant direct there. Mm -hmm. And which has been probably next year. We'll see. Hopefully Mm. if the school is able to be back in January. I think is the hope, but yeah. again, may, you know, it's just so hard to know how things will yeah. go. 
Yeah. I worry about the future of the people in the industry Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, yes, some film and TV is starting to ramp up, but not, it's not going full tilt. And how many people will have to find a job outside of the theater? If we, let's say if we can't get back into the theater for, at least until next summer, like what happens then? You know, mm-hmm. I worry about people leaving the industry. I worry about, yeah. I, you know, I worry about so much of that stuff and, and, and how can we keep it alive if all we have is streaming? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking about that too. It is worrisome. Like I, and I know in the meantime, some people are thinking about going back to school, which I think is great um, to further educate. But it's also like, yeah, we all need to find ways that we can hopefully come back from this better than ever. And and yeah. also in a way that audiences will still want to come, you know, that it won't just be like, well, we're fine. We don't need live theater. We have we were totally happy with sitting at home and watching our netflix show or you know like how many times can i watch hamilton so that's fine (laughs) i mean Uh, the the thing (laughs) is like watching hamilton and watching um things that were broadcast by the national theater in Mm -hmm. england or or shakespeare's globe and things like that as much as i enjoyed that the only thing it really solidified for me was how much i miss being in a theater absolutely same and 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 so i I wonder you know if if all these everybody is getting entertainment from from netflix and things like that but at a certain point when people have the opportunity as we've seen you know people have the chance to go out and sit on a patio they will go and it will be something special so maybe by the time we're able to open the theaters it will be such a novel experience that maybe people will come out in droves yeah, I hope so. And I hope that we can take this time to try and make theater more accessible when we come back mm, and, and yes. have it for people who don't normally come to the theater and um, cheaper tickets if we can. And I know it's all going to yeah. be fun, um, uh, difficult because we all need to make money sure. <laughs> um, and we all have a bottom line. But I think and I definitely know all the performers I've talked to that we're ready. Like we will be ready when we come back. And I think that mm. we'll also, I hope that it, it helps people be grateful for what we've had and, and that it really is a special experience that we get to do what we do. And, mm-hmm. you know, to not take your job for granted because it's, yeah, sometimes you get annoyed by, so-and-so in your cast or you get annoyed by oh well that's not the way I would do it or whatever it is you know anything that because it's a job like of course sometimes it feels like a job and but coming back we also need to to hold on to the fact that we're all there for a reason and we make people happy and that is and question and to maybe tell stories that people wouldn't have otherwise known anything about. And that's really important. And so I'm hoping that we can all come together as audience members and people in the industry to create more 
exciting and and innovative theater from this. Yeah. As we as we draw to a close of our conversation, one of the questions that I've been asking everybody since the pandemic and the lockdown mm-hmm. started is what is giving you joy these days? Oh, so many things, honestly. I going on walks with my dog, like really getting to be in the moment when I'm doing things like that because I don't feel like I have to rush back and work on a certain thing or feel stressed because I have an audition coming up or, you know, so I'm really kind of trying to take in the little things Mm -hmm. that make me happy, which is, you know, being outside or getting to spend time with my partner or, um, also I, I'm diving into more directing things and like directing Mm -hmm. styles and I can do that at home. And so it's been really exciting to get to, especially when there are things like the national theater, um, putting out their shows and like Stratford Mm -hmm. putting out their shows and, um, Hamilton and, um, Mm -hmm. things like that, that I get to see those things that maybe I wouldn't have before. And I can, can see what those directors have done and those actors and, um, just it's, that's filling me with joy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also just getting to do the things that make me happy. I, I started learning how to paint with acrylics, which I've always nice. wanted to do. And I was always like, I don't have time for that. And, <laughs> you know, and also like, it's not going to be good <laughs> because I've never done it before, you know, but it's been nice because it, I, I don't feel any pressure. I can kind of paint whatever I want. It doesn't have to look good, um, which has been so nice and also gives me a creative outlet that is not theater, that I don't have to think about it, that I don't have mm-hmm. a job and that I don't know when I'll have a job. And it's just, but it's still creative and it's still, you know, gives me ideas and, and yeah, it's, it's nice. Like I, there's so many things that I think that I'm trying to do and, and that gives me joy that I have the time. Hmm. That's great. Natasha, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a Homebody Productions production.